Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. So there's a bit of a backstory to my conversation you're about to hear with Somali Mam. You've probably heard of Somali Mam. She is the Cambodian anti-sex trafficking activist who rose to prominence in the mid-2000s with her organization that worked on the ground to rescue girls caught up in the sex trade in Cambodia. And she also has a very compelling personal story about her own experience in the sex trade, how she emerged from the sex trade to start this organization that rescues girls. And for this amazing personal story and for her amazing work, she was recognized uh, by a lot of Western media and stars in the West. She was on Oprah, Nick Kristoff wrote about her, she wrote her own memoir. But this all came crashing down in May when the journalist Simon Marks, in a cover story for Newsweek, called into question the credibility of her personal story, alleging that she had made up key details about her past. She was forced to resign from her organization, and it was a pretty big scandal in the human rights world. Then, early in September, the journalist Abigail Pesta in Mary Claire called into question the credibility of some of the claims in that Newsweek story arguing that uh, some of the allegations in the Newsweek story just didn't hold up. So this is all important context for the conversation you're about to hear. I think another important bit of context is that how this conversation came about is that a PR firm representing Somali Mam emailed me when that Abigail Pesta story came out, uh, offering Somali Mam up for an interview, saying she's going to be in New York and, and is willing to speak. Uh, so I, you know, knowing who Somali Mam was, knowing the importance of this story to the human rights world, obliged. Although, you know, to be honest, I'm not interested in going through point by point. Uh, the sort of facts of her personal life. Rather, I was more interested in learning how this controversy affected her life, her career, what she's doing now, uh, and how she's going to sort of move forward with her life, knowing that, you know, there is this kind of like cloud of uncertainty hanging around her. Here it is, my conversation with Somali Mam. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So, Somali, just to, to kick things off, can you just tell me uh, like where you were when you found out that uh, Newsweek was going to put you on the cover uh, in the magazine about uh, a story that called into question the credibility of your life story? Uh, I am in Cambodia, in my world, in the center with the girls. And where, and, and what was your first reaction? I, that is, I always laughing because when Newsweek, you know, I think that all of you seem that Newsweek is so big for all of you, for everyone, but it's not big for me. 
seem to me it's not big because I have to fix in my life because news become up. My girl in Cambodia, they have no, they have no fun. They need me, and then I never, I. For me, newspeak is it's not bigger for me. It's about life of my girl that I have to take care of every day. I want the public and all the people here to understand I'm from the field work. I don't care about anything else. I just care about the life of the girl. That's what I care every day. And then I I don't knew in Cambodia we don't have newspeak. And so did you not, I guess, understand the significance of this article if you weren't very familiar with Newsweek? I'm not, but the problem is like when Newsweek come out and I have been resigned from the foundation, you know, we have confused things. I don't care about Newsweek, what they write, they write down, but... I have a problem because uh, when the news would come out and then I was resigned, I was forced, resigned by my foundation who tell me I have to be silent, alone, not connecting with the friend, not talking to the girl, not talking to everyone else, and then they will take care of my girl, they will provide all the funding to my girl. That is a, that 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 is what I'm silent. It's not I'm silent. It's not about Newsweek. And and so, what was it uh, you know like to see some of your previous allies drop off after that um, after that interview uh, or after that Newsweek article? You know, someone like Nicholas Kristof, you know, said that he wishes he never had written about you. Uh, how how did that affect you? I didn't read it. I didn't know because I didn't read it. I was in Cambodia. And then I, you know, I know Nick, and then Nick know my work. Whatever he writes, I don't care. I just care about my girl. And I guess, you know, looking back at this, I mean, can you identify any mistakes you think that you might have made uh, that sort of resulted in, in, in the situation that, that uh, you're in right now? in terms of being uh, separated from the foundation that bears your name? Um, first of all, I'm not separated from the foundation. I have been forced to leave from the foundation. So can I come back? I was silenced. It's not because of the Newsweek. I was resigned from the foundation because I'm not agree. First of all, I have been forced to resign, and then I'm not agree with the foundation of what they're doing to me. What are they, you? Oh, go ahead, please. Yes, they asked me to resign from the foundations. They want me to be quiet. They don't want me to talk with the new. They don't want me to go on Facebook or media or friend or reach out to everyone else. They want me to be very silent, and then they promise me to take care of my girl. It mean like aggressive. I have three center in Cambodia, 170 girls who are in the center in care. And I have also voice reaching 12 of them and six of them there in university that they promised me to take care of all of them. So I've been quiet because I don't care about the new, I don't care about anything else. But I was resigned from the foundation because they asked me to sign a letter to the public that I have to say, 
story about my life that I have been lied up, that I'm um, volunteer prostitute, that I'm that I'm like I'm like prostitute by myself, you know, that I'm prostitute by myself, but I'm not forcing. That is hurting me because how I how how the foundation can look at me as Somali prostitute in the brothel by herself. They treat me very badly. They hurt me, and then I just want—I don't want to tear. I just want to leave, and to be quiet. And and so, why are you speaking now to the the media? I come back because what they promised me, they are not doing what they promised me. So they promised me to give the fund to AFISIP. It means like to three center that I can Cambodia, and to care my voice for change and have voice for change with me. They don't care them. They cut off the fun. But it's not just they cut off the fun. In the center that we have 170 girls, they left that for three months. So now in the center, we have zero fun. We are nearly closer there in Cambodia. And I have in my house, I have 12 girls who stay with me every single day now. They go to university. On June 30, when they took the computer back from the girl, you know, my girl who go to university, this girl who are from the sex slave before, divorced with me as long as some of them divorced, like more than 10 years. They have hope, they enjoy life, they go to university, and then they took the computer back, they, they make me upset. And for me, I always, I can be silent, I don't care, they can hurt me, I don't care. But when they hurt my girl, that I care. That Who was it that that you're saying took the computer from your from your uh, girls from your from your foundation? Uh, the foundation took the computer from six girls who are in the university who need the computer every single day. They took the computer back from them. Imagine you. They don't. I don't know what they're doing to the to this girl. I am unhappy. I worked on my entire life for this girl. Just sick computer, they they took away from them. And then they cut off the fun. We have hundred seventy girls in, 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 in three centers in Cambodia that need to need, need to survive every single day. They cut it off the fun. They don't give the fun to the ground. And where are you hoping to, are you trying to raise money right now to replace the funds that the foundation has, you say, cut off? Yes, of course, I am. And I have my friend, I have all the friends who see my work, who believe in me, who come back. We are now together again. And I'm beginning also to fundraise again, like Annalie McCord, she flew in directly to Cambodia and she see the reality, what the reality, the girls suffer. She hate to see the girls suffer. She don't care about myself. She say, I don't care about you, Somali. But what I care, I care about you, girl. I care about the girl, what, what you're doing. And then Suzanne Sarandon, she tried to help me also, you know, to try to fund, try to help, to find the people to fundraise to the um, girl in the center right now because they need to eat. They need to eat. First of all, need to eat in safe place. Uh, and let's, uh, can we talk about, um, 
those girls, where uh, do they come from? I know this is central to your to your work and your life story is, is central to your work and, and we can get into that, but maybe we can work backwards and you can talk about uh, the girls that you're describing right now. Where do they come from? How do they come to you? Uh, and, and um, you know, how, how might sort of the current situation affect the, their future prospects? So most of the girls they are from slavery. They're from abuse, from trafficking, they're from rape, they're from trafficking, they're from brothel, and they're from Idris girls. And how they come to me, we have all the network, all networking. Some of them who retire from the police, some of them who um, we work with the police. They have been recused them from the from the brothel. They come to come. They come to the center. So they come everywhere. That is the girl come from. Uh, and okay, and and let's let's talk about about you and, and your life story for a little bit because you know. Uh, um, you are known for your life story. Uh, and- oh, I focus about my life story. You know, okay, I'm, I'm, I agree to talk about my life, but first of all, I want to say something. Please. I hate the people just always focus about my life. Focus about the good life, sir. The people just focus about the money, the money, the money. I am here for my girl. Why don't everyone focus about... 170 girls are now in the center and need eat, need to feed. And then more girls, more girls who are in the suffer in the brothel. I don't want the people just focus about me because, you know, the people start to say, yeah, Somali, they put me up as a hero. They put me down as um, very bad. Like, I'm not a toy Somali. I'm a survivor. And then I, I'm a human. Um. Forgive me though, but but you you wrote uh, a, a a book about your life. Uh, what inspired? Yes. So what inspired you then to write that book about your life? When I write the book, I want to show the people and share the people about my life. Is even you are in the brothel, have no hope, you can have a life, you can have a hope, and you can help other people. My book, when I write the book, is also to empower all the victims who have no voice, survivors who have no voice, that we have voice now, and come up. I just want to, you know, my story, what I share my story, it is to save all the girls when they listen to my story, and then they say, I'm not finishing the brothel. I'm here, I have hope, and then I can stand, I can leave the brothel. That we can be able to have another life. The world is not always unfair for us. If we have the people who are good, we have the people who are bad. Life is down, it's up, but it's never finished. Uh, and and okay, so so that's why you wrote the the, the story. But it sounds uh, like you're a little reluctant to speak about yourself uh, and right also, now. So yeah, also to also to raise awareness, but at the at the same time, I want also to know because you know, like I say, all of the people when they go to the brothel or they see the red light street, they saw the girl in the brothel. No one asks a question. Everyone just point their hand. Yes, she's positive. But did each of you ask a question? 
where she's come from, and why she's here in the brothel. What did what did they doing to her? What did she's here? Did she just sixteen uh, or twenty? She make a passport and she want to be a, bro- a prostitute. She want to be raped. I just want the people. I just I just want people to to you know to. My life is is telling about many story of life, right? Showing the people raise awareness, but also make the people to understand, make aware. I just want to make all of you aware of of how trafficking big it is. And and uh, let's let's talk about the substance of of trafficking. Just to try to put this in some larger context. Uh, do you have any estimates about the number of women and girls that are trafficked uh, inside Cambodia uh, today? I am not working on the number. I'm working on the life. So, um, so what... I live life, my life in Cambodia every single day. But I want you to look at the large number. If you look at the... Um, I don't know, report from UNICEF or from T-Project, you can see 32 billion, 32 billion US dollars a year from the profit from the traffic. It's a big business. It's, it's the second larger than the drug. So if you read that and then you can see that the worldwide, the 30 billion a year, this is a lot. I want the people to look not just in Cambodia, but also in your in your country, because what happened is not just in Cambodia, but also in United States. Everywhere, every corner that you're going, you have no idea. Maybe a man with a girl, maybe a trafficker. We don't know. In the corner, who knows? So again, again, just just to wrap up, where where are you going from here? Uh, what what are your next steps? Um, My next. Back to Cambodia. Cambodia, I have to be back in Cambodia because I have, you know, I'm, while I'm here in the United States, my girl in Cambodia, they have no food, nothing that I have to go back. Um, I'm go back soonly. Um, and what are you going to do in, in Cambodia? What are your priorities for what your, your next steps inside Cambodia? Fixing everything, taking over. Right now, I take offensive over. You know, you have to understand, like, Years ago, I had been um, resigned from AFICIP, forced by the foundation. And right now, I take over AFICIP because few few weeks ago, my team come to me and tell me, they tell me, Zumali, I have two options for you. One is close, shut down AFICIP, close your center. Second is give back your center to you because we have no money anymore. So I think this is where I'll uh, end the interview. Uh, there was a, a little more of a conversation uh, after this, but this seems like a pertinent place to stop. AFSIP, uh, which Somali just referenced, is the Cambodian organization that she used to run and now will run again, according to Somali's last comment to me. Uh, it is separate from the Somali MAM Foundation, which uh, is an American 501c3 organization. So again, thank you all for listening. I know this was a bit of a different conversation. I thought it was important to put out there, and I'll let you uh, interpret uh, this conversation as you wish. So again, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye.